This is Soul Saturations, the podcast, a transformational container to activate the light within you. I'm Kendall Merritt, your host and the founder of Soul Saturations. We are here to deeply connect with soul-centered sensuality and sexuality in relationships, business, and life so you can access your power and remember your true presence. Welcome back to another episode of Soul Saturations, the podcast. I'm so honored to introduce you to today's guest. And before we get started, I'd like to take a couple moments to tune into the energy of the container. So if you are able to close your eyes and take a few deep breaths. As you come into your present space, just notice what energy is flowing through you and flowing around you. As you take deep breaths, think about expanding into every cell in your being and just notice the energy start to settle. As you take these deeply expansive breaths, Bring your energy back into your being, centered, grounded, and still. As we tune into the energy of the container, we call on our guides, our angels, our ancestors, and our team to hold us sweetly in this space. We ask that any energy that is not of the highest, that is not of our making, and is contrary to what we are creating for ourselves and others, be cleansed, cleared, released and returned back to source. We ask for our power to be called back to us so that we can stand fully in our presence and know our true soul remembrance here. As we ask to move forth to be of the highest level of truth, love and compassion so that we can anchor radical transformation on this planet. We do this with so much love and so much gratitude. And so it is. Mm. Okay, welcome. Thank you. Have an amazing guest coming from Montreal. I'm so excited to introduce you to Dr. Rami Nijar. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm so looking forward to hearing your wisdom, hearing how you think about all things sex relationships. Um, as well as mindfulness, which is something that I love that you integrate into your practice. So to get started to honor time here, I would love just to have you introduce yourself and share a little bit about how you shine your light on the planet and what your mission is here. Wonderful. Um, Well, as you said, I'm Dr. Rami Nidger, and uh, I am a psychologist who specializes in sex and relationships. Um, And I practice across uh, Canada, so in Montreal and in Vancouver, um, with some colleagues in the Bay Area too. So kind of been um, been around learning with a whole bunch of different folks over the last fifteen years, um, twenty years almost. And uh, I I just opened a clinic called Resilient Psychotherapy, and our specialty is sex and relationships, but through a mindful and self compassionate lens. So we're kind of looking at how we balance out our attachment needs in a way that helps us be secure and calm in relationships and in our sex lives. Mm -hmm. 
been such a wonderful uh, journey over the last year in just, you know, training associates and students and developing new uh, workshop materials that have been well received so far and just seeing how effective this work has been. So it's really exciting to get to talk about it. Mm. Um, really exciting to get to share it with the world. It's kind of like the culmination of, of um, a lot of, you know, a lot of work with a lot of fantastic experts. So mm. that's- I love yeah. that. Um, the self-compassionate and mindfulness piece, I think is really beautiful. And when we look at attachment styles and helping people feel really calm and secure, I think that there, there tends to be a lot of buzz about that in, in social media where it's talking about your attachment styles and all those things. And I think people can tend to get a little bit swept up in that. So can you give us some of your wisdom and background on um, what helps somebody move through those different attachment styles and recognize their own attachment styles so that they can feel really calm and secure for themselves? Yeah, well, you know, I've come to... I've come to really appreciate over the years that it's a lot more of a dynamic than, you know, um, strict categories. Yeah. Um, <laughs> helpful when we move away from the binaries um, and just appreciate what can happen within a relationship when, uh, when the balance is off. So what I mean by that is, you know, in any relationship in order to like create health in the relationship and also maintain the health for yourself, you have to have a balance between being focused on yourself and being focused on the other person. And if one person in the relationship, for whatever reason, might that be illness, might that be life stress, might that be processing trauma? Um, if they become too self-focused, it, it kind of sets the other person into being too other focused. So that's what we might call call an anxious avoidant attachment style, the avoidant one being the one that's more self-focused, the anxious one being the one whose attention is now on the avoidant one. Um, You know, some people might even see that continuum as more of like a narcissistic, codependent kind of continuum. But I've really come to appreciate it as a balance of attention. And mindfulness um, is a wonderful way to work with our attention. Um, though when we're processing uh, relational trauma, when we're processing our attachment stuff, it's hard to put attention on ourselves because there's just so much going on inside, right? So the self-compassion piece blends this really beautiful container and tool for one to be able to be with themselves and what's happening with themselves or that they can then um, also be um, responsible in their relationship, right? So that's how I would, I have come to understand and to work with attachment. Yes, I love that. And it is such a continuum, as you said, it's very dynamic between honoring the balance of self and then with your partners as well. So tell me a little bit more, a little bit more about your container of self-compassion, because I think that, um, that really is kind of the key to be able to access the mindfulness is that space of compassion. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple different psychologists that um, 
work with, you know, really our pioneers in this field of understanding how we create a self-compassionate container, one being Kristen Neff, who really uses the three components of um, mindful self-compassion. So one being aware of oneself, Mm. uh, two, connecting with the common humanity of whatever we might be feeling, um, and then three, treating what we're feeling with kindness. So Mm. it's kind of a mix of you know, noticing that we're feeling something, validating that it's human to feel, and then also giving ourselves the nurturing that we need to um, to kind of, you know, hold and work with those emotions, process those emotions, really, mm-hmm. right? As they say, if you feel it, you can heal it, right? Um, and in our lives, we have, we often out of, you know, out of innocent the innocent need to survive, we've created a lot of ways to kind of escape the emotional experience because it feels um, alienating. It feels like there's something wrong with us. It feels invalidating. So that mindful self-compassion process um, validate themselves and their emotions and nurture themselves. And then of course the Buddhist psychologist Tara Brach would take more of like a RAIN approach was also really similar, which is like recognizing what's going on in your body, recognizing how you're feeling, you know, acknowledging it fully, investigating it, hearing mm. it. So also just really getting, getting intimate with one's emotions in a way that's not overwhelming, nor is it kind of invalidating. Mm. Yeah. When somebody is really getting intimate with that full range of emotions that they can experience, it can feel kind of over, overwhelming for some people. And um, especially when we're new to making that space to process those emotions. So what are some tools or ways that you can help people move through that emotion without it feeling so overwhelming and all consuming? Yeah. Well, you know, it's a process. Um, and I, um, the, the amount of emotion we're going to experience is kind of, it's related to the amount of stress that we're under. Right. And, uh, when we're overstressed and under-resourced, uh, we're going to have more, we're, our, our, the volume on our emotions are likely going to be turned up. They're going to be more overwhelming. Right. And so sometimes before even going into the container of our bodies, we kind of have to look at our environment and see and see what self-care looks like in order to bring the stress levels down Mm -hmm. to a level where the emotions aren't over aren't as overwhelming. Right. So that could be um, looking at creating boundaries for yourself in your relationships. That could be taking time for self-care. That could be you know, taking time to connect with nature or to, to do soothing kind of calming activities for the body, yoga, baths, et cetera, et cetera, in order to then make it so that you're, the emotions aren't so overwhelming when you're going in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, if it's hard to kind of change the environment around oneself, which can often happen if you're in, you know, a complicated relationship that, it's hard to get out of, or if you're living in your family home still, um, it can be really hard to change the environment to the point that your emotions are gonna be palatable, right? So DBT, dialectical behavior 
therapy has a beautiful set of tools um, around just being able to um, regulate those emotions out of overwhelm. So really using your senses a lot, like holding an ice cube, smelling something strong, um, learning how to tolerate ways of distress in your body and that kind of thing. So um, I, you know, the shorter answer then would be um, regulating overwhelming emotions really depends on, you know, it depends on both uh, factors within the person and outside the person and, you know, what their broader resources are. Yeah. When, um, when somebody is moving through kind of that journey and recognizing their environment, trying to notice it, their emotions to say, okay, is this something that is a bit more palatable? Can I actually go into the body and start to process? Um, when somebody gets to a space where they feel like they're doing all the things, right? They're taking the baths, they're walking in nature, they're trying to set their, their environment in this space that, um, they feel like their emotions can be overwhelmed, but they feel kind of stuck in a cycle. Um, as you said, it's definitely a process, but when somebody's feeling kind of in that continuum and they feel like I've done the journaling, I've done the processing, I've worked with therapists, I've worked with coaches, but they, they still get caught in the loop. What are some different ways to maybe frame their experience that you can think of that might help them think about their situation in a different way? Hmm. So um, if I'm understanding the uh, question while you're asking if, um, if someone's been to therapy kind of long-term, if they've tried a lot of things and they're still getting overwhelmed, mm-hmm. what, can they understand their experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I would go to that kind of model of stress and resources, like looking at the idea that um, as, as people were more similar than we are different, you know, and our early environment and early relationships can kind of teach us, um, create stories that we have around ourselves and the world around us mm-hmm. that might make us more inclined to moving into stressful environments, right? And when we can look at ourselves in context and kind of see all the experiences that we've been through that may have um, created Uh, storylines around our lives or are who we are as a person or our Mm self-worth that might propel us towards stress you know that can help help being able to look at that without the lens of shame that often comes with it Mm -hmm. which self is really useful for one can kind of look at okay so it makes sense that I would I would gear myself up for stressful environments Mm -hmm. now that I know that I do that out of an old survival instinct Mm-hmm. what what kind of understanding of myself might need to change in order to mm-hmm. be self right mm-hmm. yeah I love that I think um I've often heard uh people come to me and come to other um people in the community who say well I understand where this is coming from like they have the conscious awareness of the way that they were raised, their past storylines, the things that they're sort of creating in their own environment to perpetuate the situation, but it's then making that shift into, okay, now now how do I change my experience or my narrative of the experience so that my reality becomes something different? And I think um, that's where I think sexuality can be a beautiful tool to kind of bridge that gap between 
the, the thoughtfulness and the overthinking and, and really starting to justify and looking at a situation between making it a human reality. And I think that sexuality is, is that physical bridge to maybe bring it into the body to start to transition some of those things. Um, what's your perspective or, or what thoughts do you have on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's beautiful. I think that um, the body and sexuality and even being able to um, connect enough with your physical experience mm. to be able to know what you like and what you don't like, that in and of itself can be pretty, it, it packages so many aspects of therapy, right? Yes. Focusing on oneself, relaxing the body, being present with what comes up in the body, um, validating the body, you know, and also then um, noticing your own unique needs and learning to communicate those, right? So in that way, sex in and of itself is therapy. It can be therapy, right? And it can especially be confusing when it's not working for some reason, whether it's like a difficulty orgasming or with erectile like issues or desire, um, sex can become this very confusing zone. And we don't often talk about sex, especially right. when, right? So folks really get lost in that experience of this must just be me. I must be the only one who's having these kind of problems. I shouldn't talk about it. I'm broken. Like all these kinds of this negative self-talk around it. Um, where I've come to really appreciate sex as being this like um, this vantage point from which you can really understand your most basic, you know, needs desires, wants, the key to your mental health, your physical health, mm -hmm. your relationship. I think those can all be understood by, you know, exploring sexuality, right? Yeah. As I said, it's a type of therapy in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you can create a safe space for people to explore that part of their lives. As we said, it's kind of one of those things that not everybody is comfortable exploring. They feel like they're maybe on an island and this is only happening to me, but really it's very, very common across the board for a lot of people. So um, how do you start to guide people into that container to where it is a safe place to explore sexuality? Do you mean if they're if they're just coming in for regular therapy and I would like them to explore a sex yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I put it on the table right away, mm. you know, just like how, how is your sex life? Like how's, how's that area of your life? You know, whether they're in a relationship or not. Um, I think giving folks the permission to even talk about sex in and being comfortable enough to bring it up sets the tone for it being a safe space to talk about. In my experience, when given the chance, a lot of people have a lot they would like to say about their sex lives mm -hmm. and just haven't really had the place to do so or the permission to do so. Yeah. And then in terms of working with it deeper, um, this, is, uh, this is kind of a, a passion project of mine over the last year where uh, after doing my training, in 
parent, like doing a whole bunch of research in parent-child relationships and um, the relationship patterns of the parents of children with bipolar disorder mm -hmm. I, and uh, training in sex and couples therapy. I then started my career in Vancouver where I worked um, running a, a lot of different sex-related groups at the Vancouver sex, uh, General Hospital in their sex medicine department, including groups for women with low desire, men post-prostate cancer treatment, women with vulvodynia, which is a vulvar pain that interferes with intercourse. And at the same time, um, got training and experience in mindful self-compassion. So I've kind of picked and chosen the things that over the years um, seem to be most effective across the board for folks mm -hmm. and put them together into an eight-week group um, that can be taken by couples or individuals that helps us explore attachment and use sex therapy as a way to, um, or sex therapy tools rather, as a way to navigate that sphere. So yeah, it's really exciting. Oh, I love that. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that eight week course looks like? Yes. So it is uh, about two and a half hours a week for eight weeks and it follows a mind, uh, kind of a mindful self-compassion framework. So in the first couple uh, sessions, it's quite, it's, it's a bit more conceptual with a, with a little bit of introduction to what mindfulness feels like, what self-compassion feels like, but then also really having folks look into um, their development and look into the, like the things that might have brought them up to this place and especially relationally because we know from the research that interpersonal stress especially interpersonal stress that we blame ourselves for is the stress that's most likely to in interfere with our um, mental physical and sexual health um, and then after that we go we go into um, more kind of uh Mind, mindfulness and self-compassion practices, as well as uh, elements from nonviolent communication. Mm. We use those as tools to then start navigating sensate focus. So it's, um, which is a sex therapy exercise. And uh, it's just a really great way to, um, to explore what comes up relationship mm. and in sexual relationship. Yeah. So. That, yeah, what a beautiful container in integrating all of those things. I think, you know, something that's interesting is that interpersonal stress that people experience when they blame themselves. What are some, some of the reasons why people would tend to blame themselves for that interpersonal stress more than others? Well, um, I mean, it can start at an early age. You know, some of it is learned behavior. Some of it is more of a, a temperament thing, but um, essentially if, if you've been in a relationship where there's a power imbalance, like a parent-child relationship, but any other as well, um, where that person is crossing boundaries in some ways, um, it creates a lot of internal stress and as humans, we deal with stress one of two ways. We either blame the other person or we blame ourselves, right? It's a way to get control over the situation. And if you are in relationship with someone that you can't really blame, like a parent, right? Because you don't know any better, it's going to be easier to internalize that. Mm. And 
my fault. I must be bad. And then later on, if that's going to happen again, it's going to trigger that same pattern of, well, this must be my fault because this feels familiar, right? So it kind of can lead to a pattern of having a hard time sticking up for oneself, right? That um, kind of increases stress levels across the lifespan. Yeah, absolutely. And then as an adult, that can be part of our, our just normal experience and how we choose to shift it then and start to look at that to say, well, is this really my fault? Is this something that I have to really internalize or can I have a different experience with it is really moving into that next space. And so that's where it's a, a great opportunity to work with somebody like you to be able to help guide them and recognize those stories and saying, because I think a lot of times people don't even recognize that that's the story or that's the continuing cycle that's, that becomes present in their reality. So, mm-hmm. um, go yeah. And, and self-compassion is a really like, it's a wonderful toolkit mm-hmm. to be able to deal with that relational stuff, right? Because ultimately all those past relationship wounds end up becoming how we relate to ourselves, even though we don't realize it. Right. And so mindful self-compassion can kind of start turning that around so that um, we can, you know, be self-protective and also self-nurturing and um, recognize our needs. Right. Mm. Yeah. Because when we can be self-protective, self-nurturing, recognize our own needs, that allows us to then show up in a more balanced partnership and relationship. Um, when we can both do that for ourselves, I, I think that kind of brings that full circle to where you said is we're looking at that balance between ourselves and our partnerships, ourselves and others, to be able to have that healthy relationship and free flowing partnership. So, um, when we look at, um, I know you've got a great resource on how to take care of your relationship in hard times, but one of the things that I love that you work through there is you talk about the four horsemen and then kind of moving through. Um, how to come up with almost a plan or a strategy of action to be able to um, make sure you're honoring that that relationship, whether or not it's an easy or a hard time. I think that the the tools that you provide are really valuable. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, I think if we can dive in a little bit, um, I want to honor time, but to the four horsemen and why that's such a common um, tool to be able to reflect on, to be able to kind of give yourself the self-recognition for your own relationship challenges. And then what are some of those tools that you recommend to build that plan to honor a healthy relationship? Well, I mean, I would see the four horsemen more as like symptoms of distress. Like, you know, your relationship's in a bad place if you're engaged in, Um, unhealthy communication, like stonewalling, criticism, defensiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, And when, when we're in that place, I think that there's a lot of things we have to, there's a lot of aspects of the relationship that need care. And, but first and foremost, we have to look at, are we equally motivated to protect the relationship? Right. Because If you see, if you go back to that idea of like us having, you know, uh, us having like two columns in a bar graph where one is our stress and one is our resources and when our stress exceeds our resources, 
we're going to have symptoms of stress, right? And that's in our relationship too. Mm -hmm. um, or communication styles, sex might break down, um, more stress in the relationship in general, right? So that can, that can occur too when um, we're off balance and the amount of emotional labor we're putting into the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I like to start there, you know, by just asking the question of both individuals and a couple, you know, what are your personal motivations for being here, right? Because yeah, your relationship may make it or not, but if, if the work isn't done, then that pattern is going to come into the next relationship and it's just recreating stress, right? And relationship stress is the most unhealthy form of stress, according to research. Mm -hmm. So um, starting there, uh, getting folks to really look at where in their life they experience anxiety, how they deal with that anxiety, how they deal with their emotions, and how that might be related to what ends up happening in their relationships. So from there, there's tons of beautiful tools out there, lots of communication strategies, lots of ways to reconnect emotionally and sexually, lots of ways to look at division of labor and division of emotional labor. And really, ultimately, you want to create balance in your relationship, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think making that um, looking at it, whether it's communication and emotions and, um, balance is just such a beautiful place where you can create that sense of flow and ease. And not that all relationships are easy by any chance, because once you do the work, I think that there's always different levels of deeper work to go. And so being able to honor that relationships are a beautiful journey and using that as a way to go deeper into yourself is, I think part of the reason why people choose to be in relationships is because it, it gives them a partner to move through life and um, being able to use that as a space to create flow and balance is a beautiful place to do that. So. Mm. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you would feel called to share in terms of tools or resources or things that you would recommend for people who are looking to bring more mindfulness and self-compassion into their own life and relationships? Yeah. So, you know, uh, what I recommend and what we're kind of starting to do within the clinic is recommend that our clients, you know, come in for a couple um sessions where they just get to like understand, you know, have a little bit of help understanding um, what's going on for them individually or in their relationship. And then we find that if, if you take the mindful self-compassion group and then our group for sexual or for secure attachment, you're getting uh, 10 years of therapy in like, you know, in the span of like a year, depending on how, how, far you space the courses. Um, and that's really exciting because I feel like we're tapping into a way to help people get into healthier places sooner, you know, not lose their reproductive years, not lose out on, you know, d different experiences and really be able to um, create relational and sexual health for themselves sooner, which, um, which is something that, you know, I've very been very committed to to create to you know 
to contributing in that way through my career. So it's really fun to see it play out this year and also to see that it's effective. Yes, absolutely. So are those courses um, available to anyone? Is it an online virtual type of experience? So no matter where you are, you can experience that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, what a beautiful resource to provide. And so we'll make sure that we put all of those links in the show notes. So if people are curious, they can go um, and find out more information. And I think, as you said, it's like 10 years of therapy and a short amount of time. And to be able to see the impact is really powerful. And if there's one thing that the current state of the planet has provided is the beautiful gift of contrast. It's given us this beautiful opportunity to create an experience that feels more in alignment and more embodied and more in flow for us. So I'm so grateful for the work that you do and sharing your wisdom with us. Um, We'll make sure that we put all the links. So if people are looking to uh, connect with you, what's what's the best way to connect with you and learn more about all of your amazing offerings? Uh, So the best way would be through the website, resiliencepsychotherapy.com. And then we also have, um, there's also a lot of like tools and information on the Instagram page, uh, which is dr.rami underscore niger. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We so appreciate your time and um, we look forward to connecting more soon. Great. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you loved this episode, I deeply appreciate you subscribing and leaving a five-star review. Come join me online at soulsaturations.com or follow me on Instagram at soulsaturations. Feel free to slide into my DMs anytime and let me know what you love, what resonates, or any questions that you might have. And remember, only you can activate the light within.